The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Conversation with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Breaking news with Eileen Bell and sports with Morley Scott. This is the Afternoon News on 630 Chad, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. Well, check this out, uh, Jay Lid and I. Researchers at the University of Calgary say they've developed a portable brain imaging system that would literally shed light on concussions. University of Calgary scientist Dr. Jeff Dunn says there's been no accepted way to get an image of a concussion, but he and his team have developed a device that measures communication in the brain by measuring oxygen levels in blood. To tell us more about this research, we're welcoming Dr. Dunn to the show. Hello, thanks for joining us today. Hi, Jalen. Hi, Andrew. Hi. Uh, glad to have you on the show. Can I ask the dumbest of all questions? Exactly what is a concussion? Well, it's actually a good question. <laughs> it's pretty topical right now. The, uh, the concussion is a brain injury for sure, and it's diagnosed with, a, uh, I would say, a fairly simple concept. If you've had a hit that causes the brain to shake, mm. um, so literally your head has to shake, but you can be hit anywhere. You could be in a car accident. You could be hit in the chest. You could be hit in the head. So you don't have to be hit in the head. But you get an event which causes the head to shake really violently, and then you have symptoms. So if you add those two together, you'll be diagnosed with a concussion. And the, the symptoms, there's quite a wide range. You don't have to have them all for sure. You don't have to go unconscious. If you do go unconscious, uh, you know, less than 10 minutes, it's, it, it doesn't have to be that serious. But it's this combination of a head shake and then symptoms. And so physically what's happened to the brain uh, that makes it a concussion? That's probably one of the biggest questions we're trying to figure out. And uh, quite honestly, if we knew exactly what happened to the brain, then we could probably come up with a good imaging method to detect hmm. it. But we know a lot about how the brain is made. So we're pretty, you know, there's, there's areas that uh, we're sure are probably areas that, you know, we should look. For instance, the brain is full of nerves, and these nerves have long connections called axons probably some of these axons are breaking. Mm. The brain is full of blood vessels, and uh, if that blood vessel regulation gets injured, often through inflammation, for instance, it can, it can change the way blood flow is regulated, and that can cause symptoms. Doctor, so, doctor yeah. sorry, go ahead. No, no, that's good. Yeah. Um, Dr. Dunn, I'm curious, cause I, a friend of mine, I was just reading on her Facebook page the other day, her son... Um, uh, suffered a concussion in uh, hockey, or maybe it was uh, in the fall during football, and the symptoms lasted quite a long time. Is that normal? Um, how long do the symptoms usually last for? Luckily, most people, the symptoms resolve in the first few weeks. So if symptoms carry on for more than a month, you should certainly be looking for medical attention. But for most people, it resolves. And, uh, I'm not sure about your friend, but mm-hmm. I would say, certainly if they've gone on for more than four weeks, they should see somebody. In fact, I've had a, a medical colleague recommend uh, that if they get a concussion, start to book in, because it can take a week or two to see <laughs> a specialist. <laughs> so, you know, go to your doctor, go to a physio, they can refer you. And, and then if you don't need the referral, you can cancel it. But, uh, kind of get in the system. And I was reading that you uh, personally have, have dealt with concussions in your family. Yeah, luckily that's all worked out, but uh, both of our kids, when they were younger, got a concussion. And uh, in fact, it was, it was when I first started uh, 
when they got into ski racing, uh, <laughs> and I was a medical imager, still am, uh, with a specialty in MRI and brain imaging, I realized that uh, you can't image a concussion. So that got us academically, that got the lab academically interested in maybe coming up with new ideas on how you might detect a brain injury. But right now, even so, if you go to a clinic or you go to the hospital and have a concussion, there's no imaging method to confirm that. Hmm. So the, what you've come up with, it, tell us about it and how does it work? The in fact, you explained it quite well, so I can, I can stop, I think. <laughs> I'll just repeat that first part. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. so when the brain activates, um, blood flow goes up. You know, you want to deliver more nutrients. And the brain becomes more oxygenated. So that's a key. Now, store that for a minute. Blood that is more oxygenated is red, and blood that is less oxygenated is blue. Uh So your veins are kind of bluey and your arteries are kind of red. By shining light into the brain and measuring the light that's absorbed and the light that comes back out, we are basically measuring the color of the blood in the brain itself. And as it becomes more red, that shows the brain's becoming active. And when it goes more blue, the brain is quieting down and becoming less active. So which is good? Well, it's good to have it going up and down. So if nothing is changing, you're probably dead. Oh. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So, yeah, that's important. But one of the interesting things is that when large parts of the brain, like, let's say, the motor cortex on one side and the motor cortex on the other side, when large parts of the brain are communicating with each other, they have similar oscillations of those, that red-blue pattern. So the blood oxygen levels will be going up and down and up and down, and they'll be going up and down with a similar frequency. Mm. So here's the key. We, may, we can measure it going up and down and up and down. We can map that around the top of the brain. We look at two parts of the brain, let's say the left and right motor cortex or the two frontal lobes or whatever, and we look at the similarity and frequency of those oscillations. If they're very similar, then the brain is working well and, uh, and they're communicating well. As they become less similar, then there is some sort of injury. Hmm. So basically we're getting a number from of zero to one, where 0.8 is pretty good and 0.6 is pretty bad. Hmm. So we're measuring, we get a number out, which is nice that, uh, because that, that takes away the stress and responsibility of a person saying, I feel bad. Hmm. You know, you can, we can somehow get a value of a brain injury. So, yeah. uh, so many questions I want to ask you, but is there a treatment specifically for concussion or is it simply a recovery a natural recovery um there are treatments and and there is natural recovery so you're right on both one of the problems is that everybody's injury is going to be a little different and you know you you can imagine again you shake the brain you don't know where the injury is going to occur or how how large it is and some people are clearly more susceptible than others to long having long-term symptoms so what tends to happen is there's this period of, of rest. It's quite critical the first few days, two or three days. Then there's a kind of graded recovery. This is the current strategy where you would have a very mild exercise, you know, go for a walk, a mm. uh, short bit on a treadmill. If your symptoms come back, you kind of start again the next day, but stop what you're doing. And you kind of work your way back into a normal routine. If, um, if there are more 
long-term symptoms, like I was saying, after a month or so, then what will happen is people will start to treat, treat you for a neck injury because a lot of that can give you the same kinds of headaches and same mm. kinds of light sensitivity and things. And quite often it's a neck injury. Um, and they'll also start treating your symptoms. So, you know, I guess the reason I ask the question is because I um, want to know the your perceived practical use of this technology. Would it be then both for diagnosis and to see if treatment was working or if recovery was happening? Yeah. So the um, I don't think it's diagnosis, and that's because we have to be quite cautious. This whole idea of you know, linking the hit to a symptom, that is probably enough for a diagnosis right now. What this technique would add to that is a measure of the magnitude of the injury. Mm, okay. and, and over time, you know, is predictions like, uh, is, is a person with this value going to recover better than someone with this value? Gotcha. So this wouldn't be something that, say, during an NHL game or a boxing match or something like that, where that would be a tool uh, available to someone to assess whether or not a concussion had occurred. That's a good question. It would be a home run if we had something like that. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, you know, I'll tell you where we are now and where we're going to get to. So what we showed in the last two papers is that, uh, last two studies, is we started off with kids and we selected kids that had symptoms for a long time, some of them over a year. And we looked at those kids for their, this, I'll call it the communication between the left side of the brain, left and right side of the brain. So their, their level of communication. And in, in kids with long-term symptoms, that level of communication tended to be low, which was this indicator of damage. Then we tried it again in adults just to see if this was a fluke, or, you know, could we repeat it? Did it work in other populations and other clinics? And we found a similar outcome. So again, adults with long-term symptoms on, the whole, on, on average, not individual, but on average, tend to have these low values. So now the kind of questions you're asking are what we're just starting to do. We just got funding to, to answer those questions. What we need to do now is get a population of people, in this case it'll be kids, where we measure them quite early and then we have a, we basically measure everything that would normally be done. Cognitive tests, reaction tests, etc. And we look at them over three months. Most of them will recover during those three months. And with that information we'll be able to, to, to answer that question. If we measure them early, let's say at the side of a boxing ring or in an NHL game, could we predict whether or not they'll have a bad outcome? Hmm. Interesting. If, yeah, and if we, if we know that, but by then, when the study's over, we'll know, do, does this measurement get better and resolve as certain symptoms resolve? So can we use it, therefore, to look at treatment? And this, I think, would be quite useful. Right now, treatment um, is, you know, if you want to test a new treatment, you've got to rely on often pretty objective measures of whether the person's getting better. But if you had a number, it would be easier for you to assess treatment and recovery, whether your treatment's working. And finally, you know, it, it would be good to be able to differentiate certain kinds of injuries. For instance, uh, you know, uh, if a person has a neck injury, as I mentioned before, sometimes they'll have quite similar symptoms to a concussion. <laughs> but you can treat a neck injury. So... If, it, if we knew that right away, that would be quite useful. You know, it's, wow, so, that, it's just, fascinating yeah. stuff, you know, and something that you said earlier, because 
how many of us have been in a hospital and uh, the doctor or the nurse says to you, uh, could you give me uh, your level of pain okay. on a scale of <laughs> 1 to 10, right? I mean, analytical data would be so much more important and useful than a patient's estimation of how much pain or discomfort they're in and specifically well, with something like concussion. Because everyone's pain, we all, we all look at all uh, different, different right. right? That's right, and quite often, especially if you're a kind of middle-aged office worker like myself, you have this kind of low level of you know, <laughs> yeah. headache anyway, because you're in the fluorescent lights, you're, you're, yeah. you're crouched over your desk, and then you contrast that with a, a really active uh, athlete, an internationally recognized athlete, who are, they're going to suffer through everything to do their sport. Yeah. So, right. Yeah, it is hard to use those kind of subjective tests. Hey, Dr. Don, wondering about like costs for this compared to CAT scans, MRIs, that sort of thing? Cheaper, which yeah, is another good. benefit, and, and it's more portable. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, it's basically like a really big suitcase. Uh, we're actually taking it to a radio station tomorrow. Um, we're going to have a person be doing it at the same time as radio. So <laughs> That'll be interesting. Take yeah, too bad we aren't in Edmonton. <laughs> well, no, I'd, my fear would be there'd be no brain activity uh, registered <laughs> at all. Um, I'm curious to know if in the last decade or, or several decades, has this been ongoing research uh, when it comes to brain injury and to concussion, or is this something that's really uh, gained a lot of knowledge and leaps and bounds most recently? Because it just seems like it's more recently in the conversation. There, there has been a lot of research on brain injury over the years, for sure. But in the last five years, probably, probably the window you're kind of aware of it as well, the conversation has really ramped up. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, I attribute that a lot to a lot of public awareness by people like yourselves, bringing it to the attention of the population and public problems like the NHL and, mm -hmm. you know, the concussion movie and NFL problems and... There's a lot of lawsuits in sports, uh, in those you know, big sports leagues. So it, it's keeping it in the public attention. And then, you know, once it's there, uh, funding levels tend to go up, mm. and, uh, and then you can get some work done. You know, it all comes... But honestly, it all, it all comes, comes down to money. To yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's funny, though. I, I, I had a concussion, what, 30 years ago? Probably now, perhaps more. And all I remember at the time was uh, the doctor saying to me, and I could have this backwards, but I believe it was, okay, go to sleep, but have somebody check on you once Wake an you hour. Wake you up every... Wake yeah. you up once an hour or something, and if you're fine the next day, uh, head on back to the sport. Yeah. Yeah, and that's actually was pretty much the, the way it was until... As you say, the public uh, conversation ramped up. Hmm. I mean, it, it, there are still people who will recommend to go home to a dark room and close closet yourself off until right. your symptoms resolve. But that is actually not the recommended treatment path now. And, and I can tell you why they wanted to wake you up, but that's not the recommended path now <laughs> either. And, and they wanted to wake you up because we didn't have CT and MR and other ways of detecting brain injuries, and you might have a you might be getting sicker. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. it wasn't there, there's another study, I think some of the, um, some, some football players, um, CFL players were donating their brains That's once right. they passed away to yeah. examine uh, CTE and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. So the CTE part is, is that is tragic. It's, it's certainly real. People are getting CTE. And the link between getting a concussion and getting CTE is still up in the air. Mm, okay. Clearly, you can get repeated concussions and not get CTE. So it's not a direct cause and effect. 
and you can get CTE without having a lot of concussions. So there, yeah, it's, it's a risk for sure, but is, is it something if you go and play football you're going to get CTE? No. Uh, right. It's just, it's right in the middle of a really important discussion right now where the, the what the actual link is, is, um, not quite worked out yet. I, I just, you know, I, I love the NFL, I love the CFL, the boys played, you know, football up into university, and you see them take those hits mm-hmm. and tackle people the way that they're doing, and, and in the case of one of my kids, leading with the head most of the time, and you start to wonder and worry uh, now, because it is more in the in the in the public stream we're talking about it more what could be the long-term effects and as you say we don't know if there is a connection but boy oh boy it's there in the back of my mind well you know what i have to ask doctor i know we've kept you long no, sorry, past what we said we would to. but it's a fascinating topic so my concussion 30 years ago uh, am i to assume that there's no risk that there's no there's nothing going to come back 30 years later yeah, fair assumption. Yeah, I wouldn't okay. Worry about it at all. Yeah. I, I got to tell you, Doctor uh, Don. Every time we have somebody like you on the show, I always think the same thing, and and oftentimes have verbalized it. I'm so glad there's people like you mm-hmm. uh, doing what you do because Jalen and I are not solving this one. I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Yeah. So yeah, nice to shout out to the scientists. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Doctor Don. Look forward to talking to you again sometime down the road. Thank okay, you. Thank you. appreciate the work of people like Dr. Dunn, but uh, more importantly, I always appreciate them uh, making themselves available to us. Well, they're busy, and you know, even yeah. the, the, um, the physicist that we had on uh, mm-hmm. yesterday, I just keep going back, it's like, gosh, I wish I had teachers who were as interesting. As passionate, yeah. As, and as passionate as, you know, uh, some of these folks that we have on. Mm-hmm. I think I, I might have been a little bit more interested in science, or might, certainly would have paid a whole lot more attention. Do you know something it. else that I always find quite fascinating, and maybe it's just, again, because of my own background and perspective, but I find when we talk to these doctors uh, at the Stollery, we talk to these doctors at the Mazankowski, we talk to the uh, physicist yesterday, we talk to this doctor today, they all have really good senses of humor. Yeah. <laughs> and and well, you know, it's, it's just funny. Like, it's a... Uh, you would expect them to be dry and... Well, let's be real. Some of them are, and I'm, I'm probably some. guessing, because we have interviewed people like that uh, in the past, yeah. and I suspect on some of these things, like some of the radiothons, they're putting the, the best folks oh, forward, yeah. Yeah. right? you, you got to remember that. Um, but bedside manner, so whether he's, as he said, you know, as an imaging person mm-hmm. as well, if you're talking to someone, I mean... You know, the the guys, the, the doctors at the Mass were just awesome. We kept saying over and over again, I wish, gosh, I'm over here. I hope you're I my know. doctor. It was, exactly. Because we've all all had to now, deal with, with poor bedside man- I was just with say, manners. Though, we've not seen them when they're doing their job, though. So perhaps they're focused and have a different personality. Mm-hmm. But uh, some of these uh, doctors that we spoke to, specifically at the Mass the last time around for Heart Pledge Day, I mean, I was wiping away tears. I was yeah. laughing so hard before yeah. we went to air. Something very but, funny. You know, it, but it's like that in any business. You have people who have great personalities and who are uh, warm mm-hmm. and um, uh, open to conversation. Then you have other people who are total, you know what. Well, and frankly, the opposite is true as like well. Like a flight there's, attendant on a United yeah, Airlines. exactly. Was, you know? There's individuals who are very funny in a public persona, are very friendly, who are, you know, yeah. absolutely socially inept. So, yeah, no one in, comes to mind right away, but I'm just saying that that is, <laughs> that is sometimes the case.
What did you say just before that? Oh, the United Airlines. That story won't go away. It's getting oh, worse. Oh, yeah, they're, doing, they're investigating it now. Yeah. Of course they should. So, um, yeah, and uh, some politicians getting involved. Yeah, yeah. He wants to bring a bill. Uh, Kennedy, actually, wants to bring a bill to uh, not allow dogs to go in. It's sort of a useless bill. We all know dogs shouldn't go up there. It shouldn't have to be a law. I thought it was funny that United said uh, two things. And I said yesterday that they've got to get new PR people. They really do. So the two things that jumped out at me were, uh, one, they've finish their investigation. Yeah, okay, thanks, United. Uh, because this, the flight attendant said, well, I didn't hear them tell me there was a dog in there. And they're like, oh, she didn't hear. So, oh, well. I don't know. Yeah. We're done. And the other is that United said, but we will start putting colorful tags on those bags so that the flight attendant knows that there's a dog in there. Hey, you know another way she would know? They told you there was, there was a, dog a dog in, in there. there. The U.S. Department of Transportation now investigating as well. And as Andrew mentioned, U.S. Senator John Kennedy has sent a letter to the president of United demanding information on the high number of animals that have died in the carrier's care. 18 out of 24 uh, deaths last year were United. Let's do this. The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad.